Well, we are going through the book of Luke to see who Jesus really is. And we're halfway through the book now. And so at halfway through the book now, I hope you're picking up on something. Oh, yes, Jesus loves sinners. Loves sinners. And he pleaded with them to come to him to find rest. Because he knew how hard this life is in a fallen, broken world. But I hope you're picking up on something else. He also preached some really serious and sobering messages. That's what I love about going through the book of the Bible. You don't get to pick and choose what you're going to bring out. There it is. Here's what's next. And God, by his Holy Spirit, gave us the Bible to give us the right diet and balance of what should we be thinking. He preached some really serious and sobering messages also because he didn't just know how hard this life is. He knew how hard our hearts are and how hard we fight to hold on to our own lives and refuse to submit to any higher authority than our own. And so today you're going to hear one of his serious and sobering messages when he says, stop asking for more miracles and stop acting like you can't make a decision because I've given you enough evidence to believe in who I am and what I've come to do. The only question is, will you? And I hope you realize that's the question that still rings out today, my friend. Will you believe in him? Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 27. Luke chapter 11, verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Oh, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up. He's talking about the queen of Sheba. If you know your Old Testament, she traveled thousands of miles to go check out Solomon and see if it was true how wise he was. He's talking about her. The queen of the south, which again, you're going to see today, he's referring to Jonah. He's referring to the queen of Sheba, which gives validation to, he believed in the Old Testament, that it was God's word, not fables. God's word. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented. At the preaching of Jonah, and behold, 
something greater than Jonah is here. What is Jesus so worked up about? And what is Jesus warning us about today? Well, here's what I want you to get. Here's the first warning. Number one, he wants you to stop living by your emotions and start listening to his word. Look at verse 27 and 28 again. As he said these things, what things? Well, Peter did a great job last week. The passage right before this, Peter puts the religious leaders in their place right in front of everybody. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said, Oh, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What's going on right here? Well, this woman in the crowd, as she listens to Jesus put the religious leaders in their place, she starts to get excited. And she's filled with emotion as she begins to realize, and it's dawning on her, whoo, Who he really is. This is not just another teacher, another rabbi, another wandering guru. They had all kinds. This is not just another teacher or rabbi or guru. She hears how he speaks with such authority. That's one of the things you'll see all through the Gospels. They'll say they were amazed that he spoke with such authority. Why? Because the religious leaders in that day, all they did is quote each other. But they would never say, boom. Jesus said, boom. Because he was God. She hears how he speaks with such authority. He doesn't dance around and quote other people. And she sees how he can do what no one else does. And she starts to get excited and carried away with emotions as she thinks about being the mother of someone like this. She thinks, oh my goodness, the word blessed means happy, favored, graced. She's like, I would be so happy. I would feel so blessed to have a son like this, which is exactly what the angel told the Virgin Mary, right? You are blessed and highly favored to be chosen as the mother of Jesus, the son of God. So don't make a mistake here. She's not, this is not the first people who tried to worship the mother Mary. She's not trying to worship Mary. She's just caught up in a mother moment thinking, oh my goodness, to have a son like this. Oh, I would be so happy. And so what Jesus says in verse 28 is actually not a stern rebuke to this woman. The way it's worded in the Greek, there's a different way you could have shut someone down and said, no, absolutely not. He doesn't do that. In verse 28, this is not actually a stern rebuke to this woman It's a clarifying correction and addition to what she said. What Jesus is actually saying is, yes, absolutely. Mary was blessed to be my mother. But let me tell you about a blessing that every single one of you listening here today could experience for yourself. One young virgin girl could experience being my mother. But every single one of you can have for yourself this greater blessing of hearing God's word and doing it, keeping it, 
obeying it, knowing what he says and following it. You realize Jesus came into this world not to do miracles. Miracles were to validate who he is so that when he spoke, you'd say, oh, wow. He came to give us God's word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Jesus is the word who took on flesh to bring us. What we need is not more spectacular things. We need to know who is God, what does he say, how should we live? That's the greatest blessing. And our God is not a hiding, silent God. He's a revealing God. He wants us to know him. And Jesus came to bring us God's word. Oh, let me tell you, blessed rather are those who hear God's word and keep it, do it, follow it, apply it to their life. In other words, he doesn't just redirect her emotions away from mother, his mother Mary and back to him. He changes the focus altogether and brings it back to God's word. Because he knows the power of God's word to change a life. He knows that God's word... You realize he knows that God's word can take you further than you'll ever go on emotions. We live in a day to day that just thinks you're never more authentic. You're never more on the right path. You're never really doing what you should do more than when you follow your emotions. Go with your emotions. Go with whatever. That's how our world world yammers on and on and on. And sadly, Christians jump into that camp. God doesn't say pretend you don't have feelings, but God's word says, do not be ruled by your feelings. Do not let feelings dictate what you think you can do and not do. There's something far greater. God's word, God's word, God's word, God's word. He brings it back to God's word. See, if you don't know this, this is worth the price of admission. Get it today. Emotions will only carry you so far. That's why we got people bailing out of marriages, bailing out of jobs, bailing out of churches. They ran out of emotions. Emotion is the only thing that was keeping that going. Run from the man or woman that says, I want to marry you because you make me feel like I've never felt before. Guess what? You'll make them feel like they've never felt before in a really bad way after you get married and they live close to you. A whole new feeling could erupt. And if they only want you based on a feeling, it will not go well. It better be a commitment. He knows emotions will only carry you so far. But the word of God endures forever and remains the same on your worst day, on your best day, And on all those ordinary days in between, when you can't even sort out what you're feeling. Do you have days like that? I do. I have days that I know I'm happy. I have days that I know I'm doobie dooby down. I have a whole bunch of days that I can't figure it out. I just feel out of sorts. I I, I don't feel right. I know I'm not right. I don't know what I feel. What's wrong with you today? I don't know. I hope that's not just me. I don't know. I don't know. It would take some time to sort it out. I got good news for you. You don't have to sort out all of your feelings 
when you have God's word that remains the same and will meet you on the mountaintop, will meet you in the dark valley, and will meet you in all those gray, bleak days in between. It remains the same. Oh, praise God for his word. Praise God for his word. Praise God for his word. He's given us his word. He wants us to know him. He's a revealing God. He's a seeking God. He's not a hiding God. Let me ask you. Have you been guilty? Maybe you'd say, I'm a Christian. Yes, I put my trust in Christ. Yay. But have you been guilty of trying to sustain some kind of emotion that you think will validate what you say you believe and motivate you to do it? You're just constantly expecting you've got to have a certain kind of emotion. It's got to be there. It's got to be there. That's the only thing that validates what I say I believe. And it's the only thing that can motivate me. If I don't feel it, I can't do it. Well, there's just a lot of things you won't do. Or, or have you learned? Notice the word I'm using. There's a lot of things that you have to learn. It's not natural. It's learned. It's leaned into. It's opposite of your flesh, your inclination. Have you learned to listen to God's word, to hold on to it, and to do it when you feel like it and when you don't? When it's surrounded with warm fuzzies and when it's not. That will bless you and change your life more than a truckload of fresh emotions that arrive like fireworks and exit just as quickly. Some of you keep wondering, what do I not have that other believers have? I I see other believers more leveled out with not so many high highs and low lows. It just seems like, and you keep thinking they have something that you don't have. Let me tell you what it is. They've learned that this is our greatest joy and blessing and authority. I let this tell my emotions what they need to do. And then I make a choice by God's spirit and I say, feelings, you can go with me as we do this. I would love for you to go. It's fun when you feel it. But I'm going with or without you. Oh my goodness, that will change your life. That will bless you. You will, you will have a happiness. You will have a steadiness. You will, it will even your life out. If you want to live by your feelings and you want to do what the world says, then strap on for high highs and low lows. It will be like King's Island every week. Some really exciting days and then some, ah! I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I mean, we do it for fun a couple times a year. But you just can't live like that regularly. Oh, oh, the word of God. Notice not just to hear it. Sometimes people say, oh, we need to get back in church. We need to get under some good preaching. Yeah. But he says to hear it and keep it. Do it. Obey it. Apply it. Every week, our preaching team works hard to make sure you hear it. We can't go home with you and make sure you do it. That's on you. That's on you. But oh my goodness, as you begin to form a habit of saying, I don't want to just hear it. 
I want to do it. What would it look like to apply that to my life? Where's my life out of align with that? Where are my feelings disconnected with that? Where's my thinking wrong and needs to be renewed? Oh, as you begin to work that way by God's spirit, your life is blessed. That's a word we throw around loosely. Oh, I'm so blessed. We usually say it when you got the house you wanted. Everybody was bidding on it, but you got it. Okay, that's a blessing. Earthly, temporal blessing. Let me tell you a greater blessing. He said, but rather blessed are those who say it. Hear the word of God and do it. Oh, there's a blessing there. You say, but it's hard. Yeah, but it's worth it. I have counselees sometimes that come back every week and say, oh, this is hard. And then they do it. Oh, this is so hard. And they do it. Oh, this is so hard. And they do it. And then they come up to me three Sundays in a row here on Sunday and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This has changed my life. Not you have changed my life. They chose to do God's word. Even though they said, I'm such and such years old and I've never been this way. That's not who I am. Favorite thing I hear in counseling. It's not who I am. Great. Who you are brought you in. How about we change that? You want to stay who you are and keep getting the results you're getting? Let's see what God could do by God's word and God's spirit. And then I hear people say, oh, my goodness. Thank you, Pastor Brad. This changed my life. But it was God's word. And I couldn't go home with them. They chose to do it. Not just here. And do it even though they said, this is not a habit I have. This is not natural to me. This is not what I would have thought. And it's certainly not what I feel. But it's what God's word says. It's what God's word says. So much more I could say about this. But I don't want you to miss the other warnings. Number two, there's a second warning here. He wants you to stop looking for the supernatural and start trusting in what he's done. What he's done. Look at verse 29 and 30. When the crowds were increasing, notice here, as we get towards the middle of Luke... And he's probably a year and a half or more into his three-year, three-and-a-half-year ministry. He doesn't lack for crowds, you guys. It's not like everyone's like, oh, there's that Jesus guy again. Nobody's listening. Oh, crowds are increasing. What does Jesus do? He doesn't give an easy message that will cause the crowds to continue and increase. He's not a fan of crowds. He's a fan of seeing people's lives changed. And so watch what he does. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the son of man be to this generation. He knew they were coming, not because they believed in who he was and were ready to accept his word, But they'd seen some amazing things and they wanted to see some more amazing things. Give us another sign. Do you even remember? Do you remember when he fed the 5,000? We've already been there. What did they say the very next week? They didn't say that is so amazing. We are all ready to do whatever you say. You are the Messiah. You know what they said? Hey, Moses in the wilderness. We know our Old Testament. He sent bread every day. Dude, you did it once. Do it again. Is that not mind-blowing? That tells you something about the human heart. Life is not just hard, you guys. Our hearts are hard. 
do it again. Do it again. Do something bigger. Do something bigger. That wasn't enough. Do something bigger. Oh, people love to say, if I could just see a miracle, I'd believe. I believe. I believe. Show me something spectacular that validates the authority of Jesus and I'll go there. Let me help you. If you've got a friend at work, you've got a family member, you live with an unbeliever, you've got a neighbor that talks this way, do not be discouraged and think, bummer, I wish I could levitate. Bummer, I wish I could do something that amazing. Don't feel bad, you guys. Don't. Jesus, for three and a half years, did some of the most spectacular things that have ever been done. And he didn't do them in a corner either. That's what the book of Acts says. These things did not happen in a corner. They happened in front of huge crowds. With just five loaves and two fish. He fed 5,000 people, which was actually 20,000 people when you consider they didn't count women and children. And he turned around and did it all over again a few weeks later when he fed 4,000 people. He took care of a wedding reception disaster. Something that would have been shameful, shameful, shameful in their culture. He took care of a wedding reception disaster when he turned six giant jar pots. There were actually 180 gallons of water into really good wine. Do you realize 180 gallons, that's the equivalent of 750 bottles. Bam, baby. 750 bottles of really good wine. He cast out demons. He walked on water. He healed the leprous, the lame, the blind, the deaf, the mute. He busted up funerals regularly by raising the person from the dead. And three days after they killed him, he rose from the dead himself. And yet, stay with me. You got to get this, you guys. In every instance, without exception, there's no exception. There's not one incredible thing he did that everyone said, now that, okay, that, we're all drinking this wine. How can you say this didn't happen? Nope. Oh, Lazarus just came out of the tomb, bound in grave clothes. We all know he's been dead three days. He should stink. That did it. In John chapter 11, if we were going through the book of John, you know what it says? When Lazarus came stumbling out of the tomb, wrapped up, some people in the crowd said, oh my, we need to kill Jesus, and now we've got to kill him too. That's literally what they said. We're going to kill Jesus, and we're going to kill Lazarus, because we can't have him walking around saying this just happened. Hard heart. Hard heart. Hard heart. In every instance, without exception, part of the crowd would believe And a big part would reject him. Stay with me. Saying, no, 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 no. He can't be who he says he is. Ready? Because he's not doing what we want him to do. Oh, what'd they want? They wanted a political military leader who would overthrow Rome and establish them back into power. They already knew what they wanted and what they were expecting the Messiah to do. You realize human beings, I I tell you all the time, we're created in the image of God, so we're not like 
aardvarks, houseplants, golden retrievers. We have the capacity to think. Capacity to think. Doesn't mean we do it well. Right? And to interpret. Yes, we're distinct in the image of God. But here's the problem. Our world loves to yammer on about us being so rational and thinking beings. Just show me the data. Show me the facts. I will take the facts and I will go wherever they lead me. That is so not true. I already know what I want to believe. And I already know what my expectations are. And so anything that points where I don't want to go, I'll discount it, marginalize it, attack, and even say something stupid when I can't think of anything else. That's what just happened last week, right? In the past, he's casting out demons, not for the first time. He's doing it again, and the religious leaders are at a loss of what to say. So they just say, he only casts out demons by the power of demons himself, Satan. That's really stupid. And these aren't stupid men. Guess what? When you don't want to believe where the facts are pointing, you'll even say and do stupid things. Folks, let me help you. Evolution is not sound thinking. It's filled with gaps. It does not prove anything. And yet, what's going on? They want to believe it because they don't want there to be a God. Give me some alternate explanation for what's going on here. I know what I want to believe. I know what I want to do with my life. People. I don't think I need to go into details in the last two years what we've seen We've got chaos in our nation like never before because of what I'm touching on right here. The death of expertise. No one's listening to any experts. There is no higher authority higher than me. You do you. You do you, girl. Whatever you want, whatever you think you are, I'm an elephant. Call me an elephant. Don't call me she, he, call me elephant. I mean, we're, we're launching into the land of bizarre, right? Because facts don't matter the authenticity of self and what I want and how I want to live my life is top authority. And that leads to chaos and bizarreness. People determine what they want to believe, you ready? Based on where they already want to go and whether what the facts are saying promotes their agenda for what they want to be true and how they want to live their life. What they want to be true. And ha- Let me help you. Some of you parents who have kids away at college. They grab me and they're like. Oh my goodness. They grew up in our church. And now he's first year in college as a freshman. He's saying he doesn't believe in God. He's an atheist. He's an agnostic. Give me books. And I used to load him up with books to send to him. Now I just say. Is he sleeping with his girlfriend? Is he partying like there's no tomorrow? If the answer is yes. Guess what? They are discounting Christianity simply so they can live the way they want to live. You're wasting your time with a bunch of apologetic books. They have not been rocked by a professor in the classroom. They are having sex. They are doing drugs. They are in the party scene and they feel so torn by saying, this is what I believe and taught, but I'm living like this. I've got to just push this away and say, I don't believe it, but I'm saying it because I want to live the way I want to live. That's what goes on with human beings. Listen to me. Here's what we need to realize. Jesus, do you realize? Jesus had unlimited supernatural power. 
He didn't take on flesh and leave the heavenlies and his father said, now you got 15 miracles. Think long and hard before you do one. Make it count, son. Where, when, how, who, you only got 15. Unlimited supernatural power. So if spectacular things is what would convince people, he should have been every day walking through the street. He's got people thrown. The gospels literally say people thronged him, right? We're going to get on over to the woman that had an issue of blood. And when she touched him, they couldn't even figure out who touched him. He said, who touched me? And his disciples said, dude, what do you mean who touched you? They're hanging all over you. He's got people thronging him. He should have been saying, watch this. Blows up a whole building. (laughs) You like that? Sets a sycamore tree on fire. Porpoises leap out of the Sea of Galilee and do a show before SeaWorld ever existed. Oh my goodness, watch those dolphins. It's choreographed. No, never did it. Why not? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus understands something that sometimes Christians today don't get. Miracles and supernatural can draw a crowd and gain applause, just like SeaWorld. But they cannot create saving faith in the heart of a man or woman. Now, I'm about to say something really encouraging. Only God's word by God's spirit can do that. And we have both. Say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Stop wishing we live somewhere else in another point of history and had, quote, what we need to make a difference today. You have what we need. We have the power of God's word, the presence of God's spirit, and the power of the gospel that changes life. This is the only thing that can create saving faith in the heart of a man or woman. So do not feel stupid to quote it. When I talk to people on a plane, in the gym, it's not just my words. I try to use scripture. This has power. 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 That's why someone can say, it's the hardness of the heart, you guys. They can see something and say, do it again. And see something and say, I still need more. Do something and say, it's not enough. Guess what? It'll never be enough. Because here's the real deal. The absence of evidence, the absence of evidence is not our real problem. You say, Brad, what's the real problem? The presence of blinding, controlling sin is our real problem. That's what's going on with every man or woman from birth that you're talking to who doesn't know Christ. The presence in their life of blinding, controlling sin, not the absence of evidence. Evidence is all around us. Go to Romans chapter 1. Let me show you what I'm talking about. You're going to see two things in one passage. You will see the power of God. And you will see the problem of sin that we're up against in the same passage. Power of God. You say, do we have any power? Is there anything that could change people? Oh, yes. Power of God. What's the problem? The problem of sin. Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 16. If you grew up in the church, you're going to recognize verse 16, but maybe you never saw it in context. It gets quoted all by itself so often. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the sad. Say it louder. You guys, stop 
being ashamed. Share the gospel. And don't feel stupid when you're talking about a man who died 2,000 years ago on a cross. And you're like, oh, this sounds so stupid. It's the power of God. People in our world are saying really stupid things. Say something that sounds stupid that's true. There you go. For I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel. For it, it is the power of God. You realize it's not tsunamis, it's not earthquakes, it's not anything in this, in this world that most displays the power of God. The gospel, the gospel, the power to change a life, the power to change an eternal destiny, the power to turn someone around, the power, power, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. God wants you to know who he is, that he's holy. God wants you to know there is a God and he's holy. Is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by feelings. Oops, no, we already touched on that, right? By what? In what? Not just fuzzy, I, I got faith. You hear people say, well, the faith, the faith. Always tie faith to God's word. It's faith in God's word. Faith in God's word. Faith in God's word. The righteous shall live by faith. There's the power. There's the power to change lives and rock this world. Now here's the problem. Starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Look at me. Enough of this. We've got people seeking truth. People are seekers of truth. They're seeking truth. They're not. They're seeking anything that affirms what they already want to believe. And you can go through work, the, our world and you'll, you'll hear a song that matches. You'll hear someone say something. You'll hear someone read something. You'll read a blog and you put it all together. But all you're doing is collecting data that matches what you want. People do not seek truth. This says, here's what they do. When they run into truth that doesn't match how they want to live or what they want to believe... They grab hold of it and push it down. That word suppress in the Greek is katakeo. Kata was a prefix that means down. Echo was a word that meant to grab something firmly. They grab it and push it down. And say, oh, no, 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 we're not going to go there. Oh, no, 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 I don't want to know that. I don't want to think that. I don't want to believe that. That's what the Bible says people do with truth. Any truth that doesn't line up with what they want to believe, where they want to go, how they want to live. They suppress the truth. Oh, it, it, it gets worse for human beings. For what can be known about God is grainy and barely visible. No, is plain to them. Why? Oh, I'll tell you why. Because God has shown it to them, let me ask you, we get frustrated with something we want to do but can't do. Is there anything God wants to do that he can't do? Louder. If God wants to show it to them that there is a God, can he do it? You better believe it. What may be known about God 
It's plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. He has shown it to them. You say, Brad, how? 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 Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Mountains, oceans, snow, the intricacy and complexity of a little baby with fingernails and their little ears, mathematics and how it works, music, the DNA helix, all of this creation screams, there is a God. And you know it. If I had time, we could jump to Romans 2 where it says, and their conscience. Dogs don't have a conscience. You do. And the conscience says, there's a God. There's a God. Creation declares there's a God. Conscience says there's a God. God has made it plain to them that there is a God. Woo! Last phrase of verse 20. So they are saying. Every single man or woman who's ever born will stand before God on the judgment day. And no one will be able to say, but I just didn't know If I'd had more to go on, I didn't. They are without excuse. So what's going on? Verse 21. For although they knew God, they knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You realize when you grab hold of the truth that God is showing to every single human, and you practice and you make it a habit of pushing it down, oh yeah, you can head on to a very dark path where your mind just begins to be darkened and darkened and darkened, but you're the one that did it first. You begin to suppress truth and say, nope, 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 nope. Their thinking became futile. Their hearts became darkened. Verse 22, oh, here's what we see today. Claiming to be wise. Oh, you stupid Christians that believe in the supernatural and a God. Mm -hmm. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. You realize we we were created to live for God's glory, to reflect his glory, to promote his glory in this world through our work, through everything. And they said, we don't want that. I'm going to give that back. They exchanged the glory of God for something in this created world. I'm going to live for work. I'm going to live for sex. I'm going to live for pleasure. I'm going to live for my image. I'm going to live for me. I'm going to live for something else in this created world. Not your glory. They exchanged the glory of God. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. To dishonoring their bodies. Verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Human beings see the glory of God and say, I don't want it. Human beings know the truth of God and say, I'd rather believe a lie. They change the truth of God. There is God. No, give me a lie. Give me a lie. Give me a lie. Give me a lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. You guys, that's why it's a great day. To be a Christian today. Because we have everything we need. We have God's word. We have God's spirit at work in our world. And we have the power of the gospel to change a life. We have everything we need. Everything we need. Everything we need. 
And to top it off, we live on the other side of what he's saying in this passage to them will be the greatest sign ever given. It's not feeding 20,000 people. It's not turning 180 gallons of water into wine. It's the resurrection. That's what he's talking about when he refers to, like Jonah was a sign, I'm going to be a sign. Look at verse 30. Just like Jonah was assigned to Nineveh, the Son of Man will be assigned to this generation. Matthew's account unpacks this some more and makes it more clear. When Matthew says in Matthew 12, 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's talking about his own death and resurrection from the grave. Listen to me. Nothing greater needs to be done because nothing greater could be done. He lived perfectly keeping God's law. He died sacrificially in our place for our sin. And he rose from the dead, shattering the power of sin so that it's possible now for any man or woman who puts their trust in him to be forgiven and set free to live radically different in this life and forevermore with him in the next. The gospel, the gospel. But let me give you one final warning with the minutes that remain. Number three, he wants you to stop ignoring who he is. And start preparing for what's to come. Everything in our world just sucks you down to right here, right now. Right here, right now. Right here, right now. Oh, I hope you're making some space and giving some thought to not right here, right now, my friend. But what is to come? What is to come? And it's coming sooner than you think. He calls this life a vapor. And you do not know when you are going to die. Don't think, oh, old people die. Walk through a cemetery and look at the dates on those People of all ages die all the time. You better give some time and thought to preparing for what's coming next. Next. It's not popular, you guys, but in this passage, Jesus uses two words two times each that we don't like to think about. Judgment and condemnation. Judgment. And condemnation. Look at verse 31 and 32 again. The queen of the south is going to rise up at the judgment. That final day. She's going to rise up with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus and God's word. Jesus and God's word. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus and God's word. Jesus and God's word. Jesus is talking about that final day outside of this world. When we will all stand before our creator, God, to give an account for 
our lives. And you will either be condemned in your sin or accepted in him because you've put your trust in him and he paid the price for your sin. Those are the only two options. No middle ground. You will either stand there and be condemned in your sin with no hope or accepted because of him that you've put your trust in Jesus and that he did for you what you could never do for yourself. And the price has been paid. Listen, it will not. We, we live in a day that's so dark and so anti-God. Here's a concern that I have. People get too excited about anyone that even wants to mention God. Oh, they're talking about God. They allow for God. They must be okay. News alert. Just acknowledging a God doesn't get you into heaven. Did you realize that? It just means they're honest. Because we already said, you know, there's a God. That's not the question. Do you know how to be right with that God? Do you know that the only right way to be right with that God is through the, the son, Jesus Christ who did for you the only thing that can be done to make you right with that God. It won't be enough to stand there and say, you know what? I always entertained the possibility that there was a God. I always held that door open. I'm not that person that said, absolutely not. That won't be enough. It won't be enough to even say, I always had a place for God. God was always factored into the equation of my life. That won't be enough. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. A decade ago now, the atheist, atheist and academic philosopher, British philosopher, Antony Flew, created a huge stir and made himself a whole new set of enemies that called him stupid. When he came out and recanted at 84 years old and recanted and said, I'm no longer an atheist. I believe in a creator God of the universe because of things like the DNA helix. He just said, that cannot have happened. That cannot. I believe in a designer, intelligent creator God. After more than 50 years of authoring and co-authoring 30 books that denied the existence of God, he wrote one final book titled, There is a God. Well, hello, we've had a book that have said that for a long time, but thank you for lining up with this one. There is a God. And what happened? What always happens? Christians went nuts. We're always looking for someone famous that can be in our camp. And Christianity Today and Christians started interviewing him, right? Only to discover he still had no place for the afterlife and wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Can you do that? Can you just believe in God and still not believe in his son? Yeah, you can. And you'll still go to hell. That won't save you. That will not save you. In a 2004 interview, he stated that he had renounced atheism and embraced deism. He said the same kind of deism that Thomas Jefferson embraced. You realize Thomas Jefferson took a Bible and cut out everything he didn't agree with? So he believed in God and he believed in some of the Bible. And then Anthony Flew quoted Thomas Jefferson and said, this is what I'm saying. This is what I now believe. Quote, 
while reason mainly in the form of arguments to design assures us that there is a God, there is no room either for any supernatural revelation of that God or for any transaction between that God and human beings. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, I now have a God who created this, but he's outside of all of this and he doesn't reveal himself to us. There's nothing we can know about him, nor does he want to know us. And he does not break into this world and interfere with us or have any transactions with us. He's just a God. Oh, praise God, he does break into this world and has transactions with us or we would all be going to hell. He took on flesh and came into this world. But Dr. Flew is saying, yep, I've got a God because I can't figure out any other way all this could have happened. But he does not reveal himself and there are no transactions between this God and human beings. All the way to the grave, rumors would pop up continually. Oh, he's become a Christian. Oh, he's become a Christian. And he would squelch the rumors every time with quotes like this. I'm quite happy to believe in an inoffensive, inactive God. What he's saying is God isn't holy and you can't offend him. Not true. What he's saying is God's not on the move. He's inactive. Not true. Even in the Sunday times, he went on to say this. I don't want a future life. I want to be dead when I'm dead, and that's an end to it. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter what you want. It matters what will be. And Jesus said there will be a judgment day. There is an afterlife, my friend, and you know it. You know this can't be it. There is an afterlife, and you will stand before God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed unto man. Once to die and then annihilation. And then say it. Judgment. 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 It doesn't matter what you want. It matters what will be. And Jesus said there will be a day of judgment. Judgment. You see, Brad, how do I get ready for this day then? I hope it's welling up in you. They're like, what do I need to do? How would I get ready? What can we do? Oh, he gives you the answer in verse 32. Look at verse 32. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You realize regardless of what you think you still need to make a decision about Jesus, you have far more. You have been given far more than the city of Nineveh had. We've been for 20 months now walking with Dr. Luke. You realize Dr. Luke now has been showing you who Jesus is, telling you what he said, showing you who he is, telling you what he said, and you'll be held accountable. You've been given something greater than the city of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba. Repent. Repent. But since we don't use that word a lot today, let me help you. Repentance is more than just feeling sorry about your sin. Sometimes you can just be sorry for how it's worked out. It's a mess. 
That word repent right there is the Greek word metanoia that means a change of mind that's so strong it changes the direction of your life. You can say all day long you believe something, but if it doesn't change what you do next, you don't really believe it. What you really believe affects what you do and where you go. What you do and where you go. In other words, repentance is turning to God and away from the clamoring voices, all the clamoring voices and desires and priorities and love of this world that wants to capture your heart and mind and rule you. It's turning away and to God and putting your trust in his son as your savior. That's your only hope. That's your only hope. He's told you who he is. And he's given you the greatest sign you're ever going to get. His life, his death, his resurrection. Really only one question remains. Will you repent and believe? Come to him today. Come to him today. Today he's a gentle savior calling. He's coming back as a king and a judge. You want to meet Jesus today, my friend, not on that day. Today, he pleads and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll forgive you. I'll make you my own. I'll adopt you. And I'll keep you. Come. It's the free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. Today, right where you sit, put your trust in him. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for your word that does not just tell us of the encouraging messages of Jesus, but warns us, warns us of what's to come. Oh God, give people ears to hear and to do it, to keep it, to obey, to submit, to let go of their lives and say, yes, I need a savior. Yes, I need mercy from outside of this world. Oh, God, rescue people and then use us to be unashamed to proclaim the greatest life-changing power of the gospel in our world. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.